Welcome to Bloombox Growing Deeper. I'm Sarah. I'm Hannah. And we're on a mission to help you become the gardener you want to be. Welcome back for episode two. Yay, I'm so excited for another episode. Another episode. And what are we talking about today? We are talking about new garden beds. New garden beds. Before we start, a couple housekeeping notes that we forgot to mention. Our frequency will be coming to your inbox every two weeks. Every two weeks. With new episodes. So you can look for us every other Monday. Yes. If you subscribe, that will pop up right in your podcast feed. You can subscribe by email through the browser player. If you're listening on plantnebraska.org. What else do we need to know? Well, we also need everyone to know that you can rate us. That is one of the best ways for people to learn about our podcast. Mm -hmm. So please, if you're enjoying it, rate us. Those subscriptions and reviews will really help other gardeners who who want this conversation to find us. Absolutely. And Sarah, if they want to email us, what's the email? Growingwithbloombox at gmail.com. Perfect. Yes. So you can email us your comments or your questions, because remember, we're going to be answering questions. We will. And if you check out our website, plantnebraska.org, there is a link there to SpeakPipe. So without um, any app or software of your own, you can record a voice message straight to us. It's kind of like leaving us a voicemail is really all it is. And we can play your question on air. That's so exciting. It's so exciting. So we'll go right in to creating a new garden bed. New garden beds. beds. They're the best because you get new plants. If you have a new garden bed, then you have new plants. That's correct. Mm -hmm. And it's a good time of year to talk about this. It's late February. Mm -hmm. It's not time for spring cleanup yet. But it's kind of the time of year I start to get itchy. We usually get, at least here in Nebraska, we get a warm-up off and on at this time of year. And then we get an ice storm. Right. But it will usually get a day or two that feels like spring might be coming. Yes. And for us being on staff at NSA, we have already been looking at spring plants for three months by yeah. the time this comes. So we are we are so ready for spring at this point. Spring comes so early for us yeah. on the computer. Yes. It's, and so we get really anxious to get outside. But it's not time for spring cleanup yet. No. So one thing you can be doing is planning any new garden beds you might want to create this year. And that could include actually digging up turf grass to create a bed that's never existed, or you could be renovating an existing garden bed, or you could be reclaiming one that has been abandoned for a while. And we all have abandoned garden beds somewhere. All of us. (laughs) Sometimes that's because you bought a new house and the previous owners didn't use them, or because that just wasn't an area of your yard that you could work in yet. Right. So if we're starting completely from scratch with grass, the first step, my favorite thing to do with grass. Kill it. Kill it. (laughs) (laughs) There's a few different ways, depending on the amount of physical work you want to do and your feelings on chemical use in the garden. Okay, let's go this way. What's the fastest? The fastest way would be chemicals. Okay. They get a bad rap. 
people think that's a dirty word. Um, chemicals are a tool. You can use them right. You can use them wrong. You can use them very, very wrong. To use them correctly really does remove the physical work of digging up turf grass. And it gives you a really clean start because you know that there's no grass coming back up in your garden. Of all the weeds in a garden bed, recurring turf grass is one of the hardest to deal with. Mm -hmm. So if that's the way you want to go, Roundup or the active ingredient that is glyphosate is one of the most readily available and safest to use in your home garden. But as with any tool, you should always read the instructions. You should always follow the instructions. And as I say to students when I plant with them, we never wave tools in the air. And to interpret that for chemicals, it doesn't matter if you think it's working or you think it's not. You don't adjust those instructions without understanding why they were written. Right. They are serious about the, the temperature and the wind speed. Yes. I guess parameters for when you should use that. Because those are, I think, the places where we see the most issues is if people use them outside of those parameters, mm -hmm. then it, it drifts into other parts of their garden that they didn't want those chemicals on. Right. And I know in my experience, one of the big problems I've seen people cause is temperature. So if you are above the temperature they tell you to spray at, instead of spraying down onto the grass, it goes into the air. It vaporizes. It vaporizes. Right? And people like to spray when it's hot because the hot sun on top of the chemical means death really quickly. And it looks exciting and it looks like you did something. If you use glyphosate correctly, you probably will not know you did anything for a day or two. So there's no, it's not an immediate gratification, but it's a lot faster than digging. It could be. I it mean, could be. It yeah. depends on how big the garden is. And how, how <laughs> fast you are at digging. And how I fast guess. you yeah. dig. Um, the other thing is to kill well-established turf grass. You're looking at spraying it twice. Okay. So it's still not, it's still not immediate. You want to wait two weeks in between and see how much you've killed and go back and spray again. And then you're waiting two weeks before you plant, which is why we're talking about that now. Right. Because pretty much all of these methods we're going to talk about, you need about a month. Right. Yeah. You're, you want to plan about, so we're talking the end of February and kind of mid-March, mid-April, depending on where you are, you can start working on your new beds. But I see a lot of problems when people wait till they have their plants to start prepping their garden bed. And they think, you know, I'll take a day to prep and then I'll take a day to plant. Mm -hmm. It's not a weekend no. activity. It's not a weekend Unless activity. you truly are just digging a small space. <laughs> yes. If you're planting <laughs> one guess. thing, you can do it pretty quickly. Yeah. So if you did want to dig it. If you want to dig it. Go with that. How deep do you need to dig? So one of the nice things about turf is if you think about the visual of a sod house where you can cut out a brick of sod. Mm -hmm. It's the same thing with turf. So if you start digging into grass, there'll be a natural end point right. where those roots end, and that's how far you're going. So okay. it really does come up in sheets, kind yeah. of. That's a, a whole other issue with water, actually. Mm -hmm. But turf grass comes up pretty easily in sheets, and it tells you the depth. Okay. Um, it'll make it pretty obvious. There'll be an easy spot to kind of put your spade mm. underneath and flip it over. Yep. Um, it usually, in my experience, ends up being somewhere between four and six inches. Yeah, that sounds right. And we'll get to the issue that digging up four to six inches out of your garden right. bed can cause you later. But yeah, straight up removal, 
digging it out with a, a spade is probably the most complete and technically fastest method because <laughs> you can get it done as fast as you can dig. There's right. no waiting period. There's no um, coming back to check and do a second round. But you need to be physically able to do all of that digging. And I am not. <laughs> or or not willing, maybe, right. would be. Every so often, I can convince my dog to dig in the right place. Oh, that's a trick that I want to hear about. And that can be helpful. But Can you uh, teach a bunny to do that? I don't have a dog. Ooh. I don't think so. I can sometimes get my husband to dig in the right place. <laughs> he actually really likes digging up turf grass to remove it because he'll take those chunks he dug up to a bare spot in our yard where we want grass to grow and replant it yep. with pretty good success. It takes a little bit of water for a mm-hmm. week or two, but he's reclaimed part of our yard that we would otherwise have to seed. And I think it is easier than trying to seed, especially oh, yeah. in high traffic areas. Ex- yes. that's If I think about it, that's where he's done it on the corners of our driveway where mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. people want to cut off and walk or the paths we create through our yard right yeah so it's been he's been very successful at doing that and it's a way to recycle your grass Mm -hmm. kind of other than straight up removal there are other non-chemical ways to remove grass that's not your only two options so this is where we see all over about probably about this time, maybe a little bit later in the spring, floating all over social media, all of these ways to get rid of grass. Yes. Uh, I think one of my favorites one time was somebody was like, I took all of the vinyl flooring out of my house and I just put it down. And I was like, oh, no. No way. How much bad chemicals do you think is in that vinyl floor? And you just put it over where you want your garden bed to be. Don't do that. I mean, creative. It's creative. It'll kill the grass. It will work. I don't know if I agree with that. I don't know enough about vinyl flooring or the glue used in it. What I would worry about is the asbestos that could possibly be in the flooring, for sure. Hannah and I both live in very old houses, so we have concerns like asbestos. And and, lead. And lead. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. open knob and tube wiring. Yes. Anyways. So we're going to talk about some maybe a little bit safer, more effective, proven ways. So I will say that perhaps the material choice was not correct, but the method was valid. And it's called sheet mulching, using something that the sunlight cannot get through to essentially smother the plants underneath. And I see most commonly people using their cardboard or their newspapers Mm -hmm. for this. It's a way to recycle those materials and... The nice thing about them is when they get wet, they kind of settle down and create a really tight covering on the grass. Okay. You know, if you cover mm-hmm. them with newspaper and then it rains on top of it, it kind of seals itself to the ground. Right. It takes a couple weeks to kill anything. Mm-hmm. That's It's closer to a month to kill anything. If you get out there maybe before stuff greens up in the spring... And never let it green up. I wonder if you could speed that process. But if you're starting after your grass has turned green and you're going to sheet mulch, it's going to take you at least a month. And I would say don't go, like if you're lifting it up to kind of see like what's happening under there, don't go off of just what the turf looks like. Mm -hmm. Because turf is actually pretty easy to kill. But go off of those other things that you don't want. Like in my yard, the creeping Charlie. Yes. So the grass might be dead, but let me tell you, that creeping Charlie is never dead. (laughs) (laughs) So really, really give it the time that it needs. 
to work well. Right. And the top of the plant is not always the complete story because turf has an amazing ability to go dormant. And unless you kill the roots, it's still there. Yes. I know this well because we used to have to move our pool around. Mm. We had one of those pop-up pools and every week or so my dad would make us empty it and move it around the yard. And the grass would be all like bright green and dead looking and the next week it would be fine. Mm-hmm. So it takes longer to kill it that way than you think, but it's a set it and forget it method. You can put all your recycling out on your yard with a few <laughs> rocks to keep it in place, walk away, do something else for a month, a month and a half and come back uh, and, and get to work. People also will keep that cardboard and newspaper and incorporate it into the garden because uh, it will. It will compost in there. Personally, I think I would be careful about the amount you did. I've seen some pretty intense inclusions of cardboard into a garden. And it is compostable, but it's not soil yet. Right. So I... Especially when it's right on top, that's going to cause some problems. Right. There's, you know, there's a lot of discussion there. Some people will put compost and soil on top of that cardboard and leave the cardboard as a barrier, you know, in case anything underneath isn't dead. Now you've raised the grade. Right. And compost, we'll get to this later, compost does not raise the grade. Compost temporarily creates a pile. So if anyone has experience doing this and can tell us more about leaving the cardboard in your garden, please send us an email or a voicemail and tell us more and we'll share your experience with everyone else. Yes. After sheet mulching, we can step it up to something called solarizing. Solarizing. It sounds so technical. It does. It's one of my favorite things. Ever or for For killing grass? Specifically (laughs) to this topic. I have a lot of favorite things in life. Specifically to killing grass. I took a couple labs in college where we got to practice this and measure the temperature involved and it uh, just satisfied my nerdy little heart. I can just imagine you so excited about the solarizing. (laughs) Anyways, we should tell everybody what is solarizing. What is solarizing? So sometimes solarizing gets confused with sheet mulching because it can look the same, but it's covering the ground with plastic, specifically plastic. Any plastic, like a tarp, or does it have to be like really non-breathable plastic? The more non-breathable, the better. I have seen people do it with tarps, and I don't know... How much that's more like sheet mulching? I guess it depends on your tarp. But you, it needs to be non-breathable. It can be clear or dark or colored or your old shower curtain. Different types of plastic will have different effects and we'll get there. But the main thing is that it's non-breathable. Okay. I like the idea of a shower curtain. Like yeah. those shower curtain liners that are plastic. And I you never that... know what to do with them after they get hard water and growth. Right. So... You cover the ground with this. You, some people, the fastest method I've seen is just to dig a little trench around the garden, lay the plastic down, and push all that dirt back on top of the edges to, to seal it, it down. down. Mm-hmm. You can do it. I've seen people stack hay bales around the edge, rocks, bricks, whatever. But you're you're sealing it down is what you're doing. And what that does is it traps the heat from the sun under that plastic, and it's killing with heat. It's also, in a way, killing with lack of oxygen, but in reality, you probably didn't seal that completely against oxygen. But you're trapping the heat of the sun and the moisture that's already in the soil and the plants, 
and steaming those plants to death. I like steamed vegetables. Yes. Maybe not this. Maybe not steamed (laughs) turf grass on your salad. It's kind of incredible the temperatures it can get to. 108 degrees starts to kill stuff. 140 kills pretty effectively. That would kill me. It'd kill me. (laughs) I don't think I'm willing to do 108. Forget 140. Mm -hmm. The color of the plastic will affect the temperature you can get to. So if you have a solid color, you're... This is this is opposite what you are going to think it is. A solid color does not get as hot. A clear plastic gets hotter because it lets more of those direct UV rays from the sun in and then traps that heat effect. It's kind of like a little mini greenhouse effect right. that we actually want. Right. And that makes sense then when you say that because when you think about like what colors we put on greenhouses. Right. Mm-hmm. We put on clear plastic on top of our greenhouse and then we stand in there and sweat in March. Yes, we do. <laughs> when I work in the greenhouse, I wear shorts under my pants because I'll be running into the greenhouse and it's 28 degrees and I get in there and it's 85 right and the heater's not even running because it's it's the sun effect coming in that rounded plastic top so the heat does two things while the um, sheet mulching is only doing one they're both killing the existing plants you can see but with solarizing you are also going to start to kill the seed bank that's underneath and the plants that you haven't seen emerge yet Right. And so the seed bank are all of those other plants that you probably don't want. People would probably refer to as weeds, but, you know, a weed is, can be anything. Yeah. It's just a plant where you don't want it, right? So it's all of those things in there. Is that right? It's right. Yep. Seeds, a lot of seeds can hang out in the soil for a long time waiting for the optimal conditions. And turf grass is not the optimal condition. So if you kill off that turf grass and then you start digging in the soil, bringing those seeds to the surface, giving them light, water, and room to grow, they will. Mm -hmm. Uh, And you don't necessarily want that. You want the plants to grow that you're putting in there. So if you kill them before they have a chance to get started, it's going to make establishing a new garden bed 10 times easier. So remember the introduction where we said we kill more things than we keep alive? This is what we were talking about. (laughs) Sometimes we do it on accident. Sometimes we do it on purpose. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, the hotter you can get it, the better. But with solarizing, you're looking at a minimum of two weeks. Four is probably better. But again, it's a set it and forget it. But you don't have to wait until it's really hot outside to do it because of that sun effect that you're getting. Correct. Especially if it's a place in full sun that you're trying to establish a garden, this would be a really good good method. Yeah, that's a good, you bring up a good point. I was telling Hannah earlier about some Boy Scouts I worked with who did a great job solarizing a new garden bed and they had learned all about it and they didn't get maximum effect just because the garden was pretty shady. Um, And they were a little disappointed by that. But I still told them, I mean, you did a great job. You did everything correctly. You can't control where the sun goes. Right. And by full sun, we mean eight hours or more of direct sunlight. Yes. It will matter if you're somewhere like Nebraska or colder where, you know, the end of February, we're still not getting consistently warm days. I don't know that you're going to, you know, effectively solarize anything this week. (laughs) Right. But by mid to late March, Mm -hmm. you're going to start to kill some things off. Yes, yes. That's spring break time. Yeah, that's a good way to remember it. About spring break garden bed prep 
for Mother's Day planting. Oh, that's, oh, that's sweet. so perfect. I guess it depends on when your spring break is. Yeah, most of our spring breaks in Nebraska are right around mid-March. So, works for us. It does. And Mother's Day has been a pretty good last frost date for us. Mm-hmm. Depending on where you are in the country, you're like, you still get frost in May. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or you might be thinking we're ridiculous for starting to plant early May. Yeah, could be either. So, those are the ways I have to remove turf. Anything else you've done? I default to digging let me be honest i tend to be a person who is like i've decided i'm doing it so we do a lot of just dig it up and clear out the space now part of what has helped me in my gardens is that we started with really just when we moved into our house it was just like turf across the board and so we needed a couple we wanted like a patio where we could set up outdoor dining area so we have a patio and then we needed to add a walkway because we were walking in the mud all the time and so those parts we just we just had to dig up and so once you would dig up a giant patio digging up a garden especially a blue box size garden you're just like not so bad. I'll do it. Yeah. It's fine. I have to agree I default to digging too because I always have a spade. I am not the best at planning ahead. Yeah. And I have a toddler, so I'm not always willing to go out and spray and then limit him from playing in parts of the yard for that long. So I do also default to digging. Yeah. But uh, I agree with you on that too. Yeah. I have a dog. There is no limiting him in the yard. So if I ever do have to spray something, it has to be like, oh, and then we're going on vacation or something like that. Right. So everyone has to do what is best for them. Some people can't dig. And so the solarizing works really well for that. Right. And sometimes if you're working in a, a public garden or you need to maintain to a certain level, you do need to start with the chemical because you need to start with that really clean slate on a certain timeline. And that's just fine too. Right. That is one thing that I I will say is that I default to digging knowing that I'm going to have to do more weeding. That's just the way it is. Because like you said, you're bringing those seeds up to the top. So it, it is more time kind of throughout the season then whereas if you're in a place uh, whether that's a public garden or you just you know you're not gonna have the time throughout the season to dig chemicals is a great way to make sure that you like you said start with that really clean slate yeah and I personally am looking forward to trying more sheet mulching yeah I just am fascinated by this and and I haven't had the opportunity to create that much of a new bed. Most of my experience at my own yard has been expanding existing ones. And so it's real, it's pretty simple to just dig a few extra feet onto the end. So I'm looking forward to trying some sheet mulching this spring with a brand new bed I want to create. Right. We'll probably share updates about that. Mm -hmm. Hopefully some photos. Yes. Okay. So it's dead. Now what? Now what do we do? Now what do we do? Make it alive. We're going to (laughs) replant because we only kill things to replace them with living things. Absolutely. So if you have killed the grass off and not physically removed it, one of the first steps I do now is I come in with the weed whacker and whack it back to ground level. I love weed whacker. It's one of my favorite tools in the garden. 
So I cut the grass back to ground level and personally, I just leave it there. It's organic matter, it's gonna decompose. You can avoid any extra digging that will stir that seed bank up if you're confident it's dead. So the chemicals aren't gonna cause any problems when you plant into it? No, they have been gone. That as long as you've waited the appropriate two weeks, there's nothing left there to cause the problem. Okay. Uh, I have another question for you yeah. about chemicals because I think this is something that we'll get questions about, especially at a Bloombox podcast, which is, are those like Roundup, is that going to be pollinator issue? Yes. Especially if you're using them after things have started to bloom. Okay. Personally, I limit my killing things with Roundup to fall only because the things that the bees really rely on early in the spring are often in your yard. And they come up usually before you can get out there to do anything. That's a dandelion and clover. So I can count maybe on one hand the time I've sprayed any chemicals before June just because of that. And if you do need to spray in your yard during the summer, mow it first so there's no blooms left. And I do keep, you know, I'm not going to claim I've never sprayed weeds because... sometimes you just got to but I almost always are spraying the ones in my driveway and cracks and things where you know I'm not in my pollinator garden and there's no blooms I do my absolute best to never spray anything that has a bloom or to make sure that all of those have been removed a few days in advance of me spraying anything great yeah and for the sake of our trees too spraying in the spring is a big issue for trees as uh, leaves are emerging. Mm-hmm. And so that's, you know, we talked about spraying at the appropriate temperature. If you get tempted and you cross that line a little bit, volatilization is the technical term when that liquid you're spraying on the ground becomes uh, vapor in the air and goes straight up into your trees and their brand new baby leaves. Right. Yeah. yeah. And we're seeing a lot more problems with that here in nebraska so if you're seeing those curling leaves that could be a sign that you or someone around you might be using a chemical at the wrong time we want to be clear we're not we're talking about the wrong time the wrong temperature all of that stuff correct and often the wrong amount right too you know we're in an agricultural state and a lot of times farmers get the bad rap for the tree damage in the spring but the the spring lawn care is looking a little bit guilty. Yes. Uh, Actually a lot guilty (laughs) because, you know, they're knocking on your door selling you that dandelion removal package first thing in the spring, right when all of our trees are are starting to bud out. And so when we advocate for using chemicals, it's A, following all the directions and B, choosing your location and your need. We would never broadcast spray anything over our yards just for the sake of it. No, I leave my dan. I love my dandelions. I do too. I don't go after dandelions that hard. <laughs> so, um, back to where we were. Yes, sorry. PSA over. So we've cut back the grass to the ground level. You can just straight up plant into it if it's dead and you know it's dead. Uh, you could flip it over so you've got the root end facing up. Which might, you know, some people just like that clean plant in dirt look. Mm-hmm. I think that's a little extra work to go to. But at the same time, if you're not 100% sure your grass is dead, you know, you put the green end down, it's pretty hard to grow. <laughs> what do you usually do, Hannah? I do remove the grass, uh, like you said, just to make sure 
if it's really gone, mm-hmm. <laughs> then it's going to be easier to tidy around those plants throughout the season. Especially when you're establishing a new garden, it is riper for for weeds, and you're gonna you're gonna appreciate the work that you put in that first year all the other years because if you can keep them at bay that first year. Uh, the way we garden anyways, you're probably not going to have to do much weeding at all in two, year two, three, four, and beyond. So I remove the grass and mulch. That's a great point is you've got to choose when you can do the work. Mm-hmm. If you can do the work now, you'll save the work later. If you need to do the work in little bites, you do the work in little bites throughout time. Okay. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about tilling. Ooh, yes. Tilling. People like to till. It's a power tool. Mm-hmm. It looks nice when you're done. It's not the best for your soil. Yeah, it um, really isn't. It's really not. Um, it is a great example of stirring that seed bank up like you just put your cake batter in a power mixer. <laughs> that was so, a terrible analogy. No, I like it. But this now we're saving you money. Because you don't have to buy a tiller or rent one. No you don't tilling have to required. Try to load it in the back of your car while the Home Depot guy stares at you. Right. What tillers do is they're blades that spin around and you push them down into the soil. So it really is very similar to the mixer in your kitchen. Mm-hmm. It's stirring up the soil, but they only reach to a certain depth. And the depth where they reach, they're packing that soil down while they bring up the soil right. above. And so loosening and compacting at the same time. At the time. same time. You see the loosening, but the compacting's happening. Tilling one time over a brand new garden bed, probably not the end of the world. But tilling over time and really tilling it all, but tilling over time especially, you just continue to pack that hard pan down. And when we say hard pan, we mean we've created a horizontal layer in the soil that's really hard for water and roots to go through. So on top, you see six inches of fluffy soil that's really nice to plant your new plants into. But what you don't see is that right underneath, we've created a packed down layer that is going to be hard for the roots to penetrate as the plant grows and is going to be really hard for water to soak deeply into the soil. Especially if you take the same path with your tiller every year. So you're getting that same areas of tilling. I guess if you must till, alternate. But, right. but we would say just don't. You can take that out of your gardening to-do list and now you have more time. Right. And more money. And, you know, on top of that, we're starting to hear a lot about the small motor um, pollution of all the different things we run in our yard. So let's just take that out. So if you don't till, people are going to ask me how you can dig. Yeah. What do you do next? I just make sure that I have a decent spade. And right. I shove it right into the grass. Yeah, we have a lot of coworkers who sharpen their spades. Yes, I don't personally, but mm-hmm. it's on my husband's spring to-do list. Um, he's got his grinder thingy in the garage, <laughs> and he takes all our spades and sharpens them and ideally knocks the rust that I shouldn't be letting <laughs> form in the first place off of them. So starting with well-sharpened and maintained tools, it's not hard to shove that spade right in. And when I say spade... This is a big topic. I do not mean that shovel with the handle that's taller than you right. and is triangle shaped. No. And I definitely don't mean that shovel that's taller than you and the, it has a square. Right. Blade. No. When I say spade, it's about waist to shoulder height. It's got a long skinny blade and uh, 
handle on top so Mm -hmm. that you can either jump on it and push it into the soil. You can scoop. You can manipulate it in different ways. And it really cuts well. Mm -hmm. And practice your digging Mm -hmm. and think about what you're doing. If you just go in there and whack stuff around, you're going to hurt your back (laughs) and wear yourself out before you got anywhere. Yes, please be careful of your back. We would all like you to have a nice back when you're done gardening. I have a terrible back, so I'm always looking for ways to protect my back. And that doesn't mean not digging. It just means digging correctly. Mm -hmm. And I really like spades because you can get that chopping motion. Right. So a lot of times I'll just turn over a small spot and chop at it Mm -hmm. um, rather than digging. And it just loosens that soil right up. And I only loosen up the soil where I'm putting a plant. Same. I don't go around the whole garden. No. There's no reason. Extra work. Extra work. Let's talk a little bit about flipping it. Flipping it, yeah. Because this is something that I do, actually. Okay, tell us. Tell us. Okay, so I have been known to pull out grass. And then actually what I do is I use it to fill the bottom layer of my raised beds. Oh, this is smart, guys. Yeah. This is really smart. So it adds a little organic matter to the bottom of your raised beds but since it's at the bottom and you're going to put other stuff on top and we're going to talk more about soil and what you what you want to put but since you're going to put other stuff on top there's no way that grass is making it all the way to the top no to be there's a weed. no way so and and usually i do flip it too so i flip it and i put it at the bottom and it really builds a good base for my raised beds now this is when i'm taking out a spot and also putting in a raised bed. I'm running out of spaces for raised beds, (laughs) which is what I use for my vegetable garden. But I also now have neighbors who want it. So I'm just going to start handing it out. Yeah, this is great. You can just be the person instead of rocks in their driveway you can have piles of grass right i've seen turf grass sitting on people's driveway for free me too my neighborhood is really good about like oh i have iris split up in my driveway and i have grass and i have this so it's really nice if you have a neighborhood that likes to garden and share things that's one of my favorite things about gardening in general is that people start talking and they start trading and it's it's so much fun. It is. And you you have a neighborhood Facebook group for communicating about these we do. things. This is amazing to me. I mean, uh, not just gardening. We, can, right. we talk about other things. <laughs> but that's a great point. If you're taking anything out of your yard and you have that kind of relationship with your neighbors, offer it up. You'll never know when somebody says, hey, I've got a hole. I'll put that right in. Mm-hmm. So from that topic, we're going to move right into what happens when you need to change the grade. Yeah. Because I think this is this, this is, is a great a, segue. It's a problem I've had. It's a problem. And a lot of people do it wrong. I definitely did it wrong. So the first step would be if you've removed that turf by digging it out, you now have to raise the grade back up. You've just dug four to six inches out. And unless you want your garden planted in a hole, you need to fill that back up to ground level we probably wouldn't recommend planting your garden in a hole i would not ever really unless it's maybe a rain garden that's a whole nother topic for another another thing don't plant your garden in a hole please don't (laughs) Uh, you'll have problems potholes (laughs) so what do you fill that in with well i know the right answer and i know the wrong answer (laughs) tell me the wrong answer first the wrong answer is compost we love our compost all all of us are composters over here and you can like at least in lincoln 
And I think Omaha, other areas, you can get free compost. Right. So we love our compost, but it's just not the answer to everything. I know you just you just threw some people for a huge loop by oh, saying sorry. that. Because, no, no, it was a good loop because so many people do this. Right. Compost is good for the garden. I've got a hole. Let's fill it with compost. I did this in my first raised garden bed. I was, you know, 20 years old, mm-hmm. built a raised garden bed at a rented house. And I thought, oh, I'm in Lincoln. There's free compost. Compost is good for plants. That means more compost must be really good for plants. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's not true. So compost is almost 100% organic matter. Mm-hmm. And organic matter is great for holding water and feeding plants, but it's going to continue to decompose. Right. And it's pretty loose. It's very like, loose. Like loose particles, I guess, is what how would fluffy. we describe it's that? Very yeah, fluffy. it's fluffy. It's not packed down. Mm-hmm. So if you fill in a hole with compost, you're going to have that hole filled in for about a year. Mm-hmm. And then you're going to have that hole about half filled in. Mm-hmm. And before you know it, you're going to have this plant sticking up out of the ground. Of a hole. Of a hole <laughs> that's back to ground where you dug out the ground. So you need to fill in with topsoil. Yes. And this confused me when I started gardening because I would go to the garden store center, wherever you get your dirt, (laughs) your soil. (laughs) Anyways, and I would go, okay, well, I got compost over here. You got the name brands over here. You got topsoil over here. You got manure. Potting soil. Potting soil. Like, can you just put potting soil in your garden? I don't know. So this was all brand new. So yes, topsoil, I learned, is a thing and it's important. And it's a little expensive. And it's expensive. But here's the other thing. You don't have to fill the whole hole with topsoil. I do a 50-50 mix. Yeah. Because you do want to add some of that compost in. Mm -hmm. So before we get to the garden center, the fastest method... And probably the easiest is if you have another spot in your yard that needs to lower. Yes. Or you've got a spot in your alley where you don't mind digging a hole. (laughs) Because we've got soil around us, right? So if we can just shift it, that's what we're always doing. We're trying to even out an old yard. And so we'll take a spot that's a little higher than we wanted and we'll use it to fill back in those holes. The one caveat I would give to that is if you are in a brand new development. Oh, yes. You probably have no topsoil. No. No. If so if your house is new, what would you say like 10 years? Yeah, I would go back at least 10 years. Yeah. And the development all around you is probably the same. Um your topsoil is gone because they leveled that place to put in your house and your yard and all of that stuff. So I would not dig from around your house if that's the case. Right. And they harvest topsoil in yeah. development and there's a requirement on what they have to put back in and it's it's Not very much. small it's like three inches it's going to be different in every city and every state but around here it can be as little as three inches that they have to put back on the rest they sold and it's at the garden center in a bag for you to buy back <laughs> <laughs> but it's because to do construction properly they have to disturb and construct that soil. Right. You wouldn't and want compact. them and compact it. You wouldn't want them not to. Your basement wouldn't work, but it does mean that you can't assume that you have abundant topsoil all around you. And also, I should add to my alley thing that <laughs> if your alley is is a place where people park their cars and change their oil, that might not be the best. Our alleys 
where we compost. Yeah. So we do dig some soil out of there. But you you probably don't want to dig from the middle of the alley. Mm-hmm. So if you don't have compost around, you can get it at the garden center. Yeah. I also tend to go to Friends with Farms. Yeah. Say, can I have a bucket of dirt? Mm-hmm. But, you know, topsoil is expensive and we do always want to improve. So I don't do 100% topsoil. No. I do about 50-50 with compost and if you've got access to manure. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. That's good stuff. That's good stuff. So 50-50 is what we're recommending. What we would, re- yes. Mm-hmm. Um, you could do 100% topsoil. There's no problem with that. I just usually take the opportunity if I'm going to be adding something to my soil anyway that I've included a little right. bit of compost or manure or some form of organic matter. So what that doesn't include is that potting soil that we mentioned. <laughs> I mean, I guess you could. It's also expensive and it's probably not going to be what you want. We can get into this in a soil discussion. Yeah. Um Soil functions as part of a really big picture. And when Mm -hmm. you put a plant in a pot, it's part of a very small picture. Mm -hmm. So our potting soil that you buy rarely, if ever, has actual soil in it. It's almost always made out of sphagnum moss, peat moss, different constructed things, synthetic things. And that's good because in your pots, you need that. Not what I would add to my garden. So stick to your compost and your topsoil. Right. Okay. So we've created a garden bed from scratch. How about reclaiming those beds that either have been abandoned, we just don't like them. This can be more challenging. Yes, it can be more and less challenging. Mm -hmm. I tend to think it's harder. Yes, I agree. In my experience, it's been harder anyway. Especially when you're the one who abandoned it then it feels even worse Oh, (laughs) because in my opinion, I don't know. And this is something that I get from the other gardeners in our office is like everyone who has gardened in one place long enough has that plant that you're like, why did I plant that? What happened there? And so what do we do if we've planted these things? Or maybe we didn't plant those. Somebody right. else did. In my case, it. I'm still trying to reclaim garden beds from not even the previous owner of my house, but like three previous owners who planted huge beds of spirea and daylilies. And not the pretty oh. ones you get at the garden center. The ditch kind that spread and don't die. Yeah. Yeah. I had a lot of those too. Yeah. So... If you're dealing with herbaceous plants, and that means anything that's not woody like a tree. So a shrub and trees, those are woody. Everything else is herbaceous, which means it dies back to the ground every year. You can treat it very similarly to turf grass and and use all three of those methods of killing or removing it. The harder thing for me is the woody things. Yes. Because a lot of times you're chopping, killing, digging pulling them out digging very deep much deeper than turf right um we had to remove some yew shrubs Mm -hmm. the way it went was my husband and father dug deep holes around them and then cut them off there just wasn't a lot of options because they were these huge shrubs with not just deep root systems but these big thick underground trunks so if you're removing woody things you've got a project i like to remove woody things in the fall Because usually it's cooler to work and I'm not on this pressure timeline that I want to replant this garden right now. 
in my experience removing woody things has always come with twists and turns and changes of plans so i almost never remove them in the spring that's not a horticultural reason it's a personal planning reason yeah i'm losing the battle with a hackberry that i'm still trying to get pulled out completely from a bed that was a volunteer and it cannot go there like it just can't yeah um so I feel your pain because I think it is going to come to some deep digging and some, you know, when you have to get out the big old snivers to, to cut the roots yeah. out. and Oh, goodness. They can be a project. So that's just a personal piece of advice. I like to remove woodies in the fall. Maybe they're not completely dormant, but not the height of the growing season. And I'm not trying to do it right now so I can plant. Just give myself the time to make make some changes, find some different tools, do call some right. people, do it right, and get rid of it. The herbaceous stuff, I do. I've removed that in the spring fairly often. You can kill it just like your turf grass, and then sometimes you can just leave those roots to rot. Sometimes you do need to dig them up and remove them if they've left behind a big root ball that's taken up space that you need. Mm-hmm. That's our advice on starting a new garden bed. It kind of covers everything. So I think to sum it up, it really comes down to what kind of work you feel you want to do. There's a lot of options. So try what you think is going to work best for you and know that we've all tried all of these ways. Right. (laughs) And uh, sometimes that's what it takes to just figure out what's going to what's going to do the trick. Right. If there's one takeaway I, I want people to learn from this conversation, it's that bed prep cannot be rushed and it takes some time and you may need to make changes to your plan and you need to give yourself a minimum of a month to prepare a new bed before you've got your brand new plants sitting there waiting for their home Mm -hmm. there's one thing that gardeners need and none of us have it's patience right (laughs) and time because in this world all of the exciting gardening things happen really fast Mm -hmm. You know, we've got our spring planting time and we've got our fall planting and people do a lot of site prep and soil prep in the fall. And then in the summer, it's kind of a maintenance, you know, it it gets hot. We like to sit and watch things grow. And in the winter, we feel stuck Mm -hmm. um, because we can't be out in the garden. And so you can get caught up in the rush of those two seasons. Right. Just take a breath. If you don't plant in the spring, you can plant in the fall. Mm Mm-hmm. All right, Sarah, to close us out today, what's the plant that you're thinking about this week? Well, I think right now it has to be my bay tree, which is right next to us while we're recording. I got this two or three years ago. It is, in fact, the leaf you put in soups. It's also a laurel tree, which grows in Europe. It doesn't quite make it through our winters here. I think it's one zone too warm for us in nebraska so it's growing in a pot and actually i left it outside a little too long one fall and so it lost its top so it is more of a bay shrub it makes it fit in my office better it looks great it does it's just so green and fills the space and it it just makes me feel like i'm kind of outside yeah have you harvested the leaves to actually use like and dry them yeah Yeah, i don't actually dry them oh you don't i just pluck them off and throw them in my soup Mm -hmm. yeah Look at that. That's fancy. It is fancy. It's a lot less fancy than taking the time to dry them. Like I said, patience, I don't have it. Uh, it's it's a <laughs> virtue I'm still striving yes. for. Mm-hmm. 
But I have found it much more flavorful than the dry jar I buy at the store. I'm sure. And we do normally have this plant at Spring Affair. We do. Since it's not native here, we don't carry it in our regular sales. But this one came from Spring Affair. Right. You'll find it in the herb section. Right. Okay. What's your plant on your mind this week? Well, I'm finally catching up on my Better Homes and Gardens. Okay. Because I love that magazine. And the January issue featured Hellebore. Ooh. On the cover, they had a big article about hellebore, otherwise called Lenten Rose. It's one of the first things to bloom. And they're just like this most delicate, but also not delicate. Like they look really delicate, but they're very strong. If you touch them, they don't feel delicate. No. And they're just gorgeous. I love hellebore. And so it really opened my brain to all of the various species of hellebore that's available. And so I want to try to see if I can find some other various species that will work here in Nebraska this spring and get them planted and see see what happens because there are some beautiful colors yes. out there. We in Nebraska, we can get pretty excited about anything that blooms a little early or a little late. Right. (laughs) That just kind of extends our season a little bit. Spring can feel real long here. Yes. The spring before the plants can feel really long here. Absolutely. Yeah. So that's what's on my mind. I'm going to see what I can find. Okay. Well, that wraps up for today. We will be back in two weeks to talk more about what makes a healthy soil. Yes. So please don't forget to rate and review us if you would like to do that. If you go to plantnebraska.org, the link directly to the Bloombox page will always be in the show notes. You can send us a voicemail through our SpeakPipe link, which is on the website, or you can send us an email to growingwithbloombox at gmail.com. Perfect. Wonderful. All right. Well, Bloombox Growing Deeper in the Bloombox program is a program of Nebraska Statewide Arboretum. Thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.